0: The Thriving Over Surviving Podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving Podcast.
1: But I think it's all about love. Everything is about love. If you love yourself and you love your life, you work harder to protect it you're more open about sharing it. If you love yourself, you can be more vulnerable and authentic with others. And if you love your community and you care about humanity and other people, I mean, that's the thing is for me, it all comes back to love.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? An advocate is defined as a person who publicly supports, recommends, or argues for a particular cause or policy a champion if you will and being from the education world myself when someone says that an advocate is joining the meeting it tells me that a parent is bringing with them someone who's an expert in the context under which that we're going to discuss the advocate looks out for the best interest of the student and knows the laws surrounding the child's needs and is relentless in their pursuits to support the kid In the MS autoimmune world, the same description applies, except the conversation changes to medical needs insurance, patient rights, drug companies, and public policy. So today I want to welcome, I'm so excited to talk to this person. So I'm going to welcome Jenna Green because she's an advocate, but the real reason I want to talk to her is because she seems like the most fun person ever. So I know we're going to enjoy ourselves today. So she, like I said, is a patient advocate living with MS, and she speaks from experience. Her core values are love, and community, which guide her pursuits. Her diagnosis came in 2016, but she's also had experience with depression, dystonia, which I really want to get into a little bit, and IBS. So she is no slouch when it comes to experience with autoimmune disease. She's the perfect advocate to have because she knows where you're coming from. So this mixed with over 15 years of experience in the marketing realm helps her in her dedication to changing public policy for us Spoonies. So Jenna was the 2019 New England MS Society's Emerging Advocate of the Year. And that was when she was just starting out. So imagine all the things she's done since then. So she currently serves both as a district advocacy leader and a government relations action committee member. So let's chat it up with Jenna. Hi, honey. How are you today?
1: I'm so glad to be here. And I think that you have such a super fun podcast. It is my honor.
0: I am really excited to get into this. I am not an advocate. In fact, when I start talking about let's see, MS policy and laws and insurance things, I like crouch into this tiny little space because I don't know a lot about that. So I want to expand my knowledge today. I'm hoping that we can do that. We totally can, and I think we should also
1: expand your definition of advocacy because what you do with this podcast is advocacy work. Without a doubt, you are sharing your story, the story of people in the chronic illness community, their stories, and by doing so, you are advocating For people in our community, you have become a resource for the community. You are absolutely an advocate. You don't have to be involved in public policy or speaking with senators to be an advocate. So I could add this to
0: my resume legitimately.
1: Totally. Thank you. Totally, this is absolutely advocacy work. And I would argue that this is the most important kind of advocacy work, because if we aren't helping the people in our community and if we aren't sharing our stories and helping other people feel like they aren't alone, then what is the upside to this disease? Cause it's not fun. Zero
0: stars. do not recommend. The best part of this disease for me is our community. Me too. Yeah, I just get so much out of learning from other people and hearing those stories. So okay, I'll own it, Jenna. I'll own it.
1: Yes, thank you. I mean, I'm I've the government policy. I mean like that stuff like makes my brain hurt a lot. That is not some sort of like magic that I've got going on. Anyone can be an advocate. If you're willing to use your voice and tell your story or even just tweet at your senators, you can be an advocate. You can the actually, if you um, go to the MS Society under, I wanna say it's under resources and then advocacy or get involved and then advocacy, I apologize, MS Society, get involved and then advocacy. You can sign up for emails and text alerts if you want on campaigns that are either national or local to you and they'll send you an email when there's a policy or something they're trying to get support from from your representatives and you don't even have to know who your representatives are you just have to put in your address and will automatically tell you you don't even have to i mean it will tell you all about the policy they're trying to support or change or or whatever it is and then they will you know put in even a pre-filled like template email that you can send to your legislators. you They do encourage you to update it with your own story and your own opinion and your own experience if you have something that's related, but you, you don't even have to. It takes all of two minutes and you can advocate from sitting on your couch, like playing with a squeaky toy with your puppy.
0: <laughs> so you have yes. a new puppy in the house and I can hear him playing. Yes,
1: yeah, she's got a very special chew stick so she'll be quiet hopefully puppy to be too quiet because then you know something's
0: something is up that puppy is in the bathroom tearing up the toilet paper when it's quiet yeah so I heard when you said a little bit of definition about being an advocate it's about telling your story so let's start out with that if you don't mind and share a little bit of your diagnosis story of MS with us
1: Absolutely. So it's six years this January, 2022, but it was about six years ago that my MS symptoms, well, that were clear really sh- showed up. I, I definitely had some symptoms prior to my first official flare up that led to my diagnosis, but I had also been in a car accident. So I had chronic pain. So I had numbness in my le- like left side and, and tingling and things like that, that in hindsight, were actually MS related, or at least could have been. But they, you know, we kind of all blew it off as, oh, well, you just had, you know, you had a car accident. So I had pancreatitis and I needed to have my gallbladder out. And two weeks after that, I started having what I felt was like blurry vision or vertigo. You know, they sent me to the ER and the ER doctor said, go home, you have vertigo, you're being dramatic. And I followed up with a neurologist a few weeks later, and I'm very privileged to have great health insurance and also live near the city of Boston where we have excellent world-renowned doctors. And I saw a neurologist there who wasn't even an MS specialist, but just a, a regular neurologist. And she said immediately, like, we need to get you an MRI and a lumbar puncture and all these things. She looked at me like this was really serious. And I was kind of in denial, I think I was in denial. I was actually really in denial. I say even though the signs were very clear until my neurologist said the words to me, like in January, that that I had multiple sclerosis. I was very much in denial until those words were said to me, and and that was shocking for me. Which it shouldn't have been. I mean, like given all of the data, experience, whatever you know, research I had done, but it, it was because you know, sometimes your body just does those things to protect you. I think your brain, I
0: I don't know if I want to really know sometimes like some people, you can take both sides of it, right? Like I want to know, I want to have a name to this so I can tackle it. Or I don't want to know because it's so overwhelming in life, right. To be diagnosed.
1: And that's the thing. I mean, I, I've been lucky to be relatively healthy my whole life. And in fact, if you would seen me at that time, I was probably at my, one of my lower weights in my life and I, you know just lost weight and people were like, oh, you look so good. Like everything's great. And I've been self-employed for many years. So it was at least three years before that, almost four. I was working all the time. Business was really good. I was very much deep in like the hustle culture, hustling, working all the time, but like still being able to do things with my friends and, you know, not really listening to my body at all. And then, you know, the MS diagnosis kind of rocked my world. And then I spent hours talking with my neurologist, who's like, you know, a world renowned, like MS specialist here in Boston and Harvard professor and whatnot. And they all are, it's not that fancy, but it sounds fancy, or if you don't live here, but I mean, he's, he's a great guy. He, We decided for a variety of reasons that I would go on what was the statistically most aggressive treatment for relapsing, remitting MS at the time, which was Tysapri, and it was an infusion every four weeks for a variety of reasons. And I went in for my first infusion a month later. Well, I went to go in and that morning. They called and said, your insurance denied this and introduced me to step therapy and told me that my insurance wanted me to fail first on a older and statistically less effective, although not that much less costly medication. And then, you know, a failure is a flare up, which can lead to, you know, permanent brain or spinal damage, permanent loss of functionality, rehab, hospital stays, increased disability, you know, inability to work, lots of, lots of things that you don't want when you're 31 and, and you you know, didn't realize you had the privilege of health that you just like lost in five seconds. It felt like, and, and I was like, no, absolutely not. We're not doing that. That's ridiculous. (laughs) So what happened? I, well, I don't recommend this just for the record, but I was like, I said some curse words and I said, they can bill me. It, believe me, it was like 16 or 20 grand. I did not have that money. Like, we, that was not, there was no way I could have ever paid that bill, but I was like, I'm coming anyway. Like, no way. I was just like, over my dead body. I'm not doing that. I was like, this is nonsense. I did work with my doctor and got it appealed. And thankfully, my doctor's office is very skilled at that. And it worked out, but. Again, most people, I would recommend that you appeal it and then go, don't don't risk like that giant bill. It's not really a good choice um, in hindsight. It's not what I recommend at all. But we are still working to reform step therapy here in the state of Massachusetts. Step therapy reform is a nationwide effort from them as society and many other organizations just not to entirely get rid of the step therapy practices that the insurance companies do they say are cost-cutting. But of course, if you add up all the costs related to a medication failing you, whether you have MS or another autoimmune disease or epilepsy or something like that, there are a lot of costs associated in the long run. So really financially, it doesn't make a lot of sense pretty much most diseases and, and for anyone, for anyone who wants to put the patient's health first, it certainly doesn't make any sense. So we're, we're still working on passing step therapy reform here in the state of Massachusetts, but I'm feeling confident about it passing in 2022. It's, that's going to be our year and I'm saying it on, on the record.
0: Well, that's a really big deal and it will impact so many people. I, I am certainly not an expert. I don't have a
1: degree in public policy or healthcare or anything like that. My, my background is all business and marketing. But of course, the people at the MS Society that aren't volunteers like I am, the people that actually are, work there, they're they're very well versed in all of this. And they they're the ones that are really putting in the very hard work.
0: So Jenna, I want to ask you, in your bio, I was reading that you have dystonia. Am I saying that right?
1: Yes. So dystonia, for me, it is caused by my multiple sclerosis it's often caused by parkinson's as well but it can dystonia can develop on its own like you can be born with focal dystonia or specific kind of dystonia which is essentially a a very particular type of muscle spasm so for me i have focal dystonia after an ms flare-up it that's how it started was with an ms flare-up but for me like with Relapsing, remitting MS, even when you're in a relapse, sometimes your symptoms from that flare up never leave, right? And and I think that makes relapsing, remitting, which that means that makes it very confusing for the average um, person. I mean, it was certainly confusing for me at first because you think remission means that you are healthy and that you don't have symptoms. And while I am quote unquote, healthy, I still have symptoms every day. And my dystonia was a flare up from my multiple sclerosis that triggered something in my brain. I'm sure my doctor could obviously explain this better than I am. Um, the dystonia for me makes my feet kind of um, clamp up. So they, they kind of, they move like they're, like your hand is opening and closing, that's what my feet do. But I am lucky again. To be in Boston, and I have a movement disorder neurologist because you know I collect those as well. The neurologist, you just have a bunch of them. He helped me, and we we did go through a variety of medications and therapies. And um, now I get quarterly injections of a type of Botox in my feet and calves that slow the movement of the dystonia, which never stops it completely, but it it slows it. It slows it enough that. I can manage with a lot of other stretching and massage, torture ish. Acupuncture actually helps a lot, but of course, that's very expensive. Mm-hmm. And then it does wear off every three months. What other MS symptoms
0: do you have that are lingering?
1: Because of my MS, I also have IBS. IBS is essentially something that's diagnosed by making sure that you don't have a lot of other diseases. Mm. So it's like ruling out things. But for me, I think it is because of my MS, because I tend to have spasms, or it seems to also be triggered by pain medication for sure, which I do need on occasion. But of course, that really messes with your stomach. I haven't found any foods that trigger it. I have done extensive like food testing, both with my doctors and externally. I try to stay away from foods that are inflammatory for my body. But even when I do eat or drink them, I don't feel a difference in my IBS. It's kind of just, it likes to uh, just show up when, when it feels like it. It's just kind of a fun little Fun little party guests. You never know when we'll show up and attend. So it's like, give me some more because
0: I can handle all of this, right?
1: Yeah. I have chronic pain, chronic fatigue, depression and anxiety. I did have depression before, but the anxiety is definitely new from, from my MS. Um you know, which therapy certainly has helped me a lot. Journaling has been really helpful for me as well. And I do take medication for my depression and I'm not ashamed of that at all. But, you know, it is just something that I deal with. The fatigue, did I say that? The brain fog. There's also, the brain fog is obviously worse when the pain is worse
0: and the fatigue is worse. And, you know, they're all kind of connected, When you were able to go and tell all of this and and speak your truth with legislators directly and advocate for us Spoonies that possibly will be impacting your community, what was that like for you?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, the first time... When I was, it was an in-person advocacy day with the MS Society at at Capitol Hill in Boston. And for me, that was just, it was really mind-blowing because I just kind of signed up online. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I was nervous. I was so nervous. I felt completely unqualified to be there, even though I had MS for a few years. And I had started sharing my story online because health insurance tried to do step therapy with me tried to put me through that. I realized then because I had extensive marketing, and social media knowledge from being in business, I had a supportive community and family and friends. Um, I hadn't told a lot of people yet. I told my immediately family and friends and I hadn't really decided if I was going to share it publicly, quote unquote, you know, but when that happened, I realized I, I had to because I wasn't um, in a job where I couldn't where I felt like I couldn't say something, like I said, I had great insurance, great family and friends. And I, I just knew I that if this was happening to me and I felt so overwhelmed and terrified and horrified by the realities of it. And I mean, I had certainly had some bad healthcare experiences before and health insurance issues. I wasn't new to that, but I mean, this was really a next level eye-opener for me. And I realized, if. I didn't speak up about it. I mean, who will? Because I knew that one day I would need someone probably to speak up for me. And apparently that's advocacy. I didn't, I didn't know at the time. I just, I just called that never shutting up. So I I just started speaking up about it online. I started, you know, blogging and Instagram sharing about it in the community. And I think the more I shared, the more I realized that I wasn't alone. And for me, that was very empowering and really impactful. And reading other people's stories really helps. So that's what kind of drove me to go to the MS Activist Day. And then, yes, I was scared that first those first few times, but they, they made me feel very prepared. We, you know, had quick kind of a training session and they told me straight up that this is, you know, you are the expert because this is your story and that's what you're sharing here. So you are the expert. These people are senators or Congress people, representatives, staff members. Sure, they have great jobs, but their job is to serve their constituents. And you are the constituent. And by sharing your personal story and how a law or um, a change may or may not impact you and impact your life and your future and your health, your ability to live quality of life you know this is i for me quality of life is life or death I, you know it's not it may not actually kill you but your quality of life is your life it's very critical so
0: you're the expert there and and that for me was extremely empowering it's like it's building you up a little bit because really like you said you're just sharing your truth and they need those testimonies because without those it's not real it's not tangible for them they can't really grasp the emotion behind it. Thank you for going and speaking on our behalf as your connection with that core value of community and building that, you talked about the social media piece and how you're really involved there. How has that getting involved in social media impacted that core value of community for you? I
1: mean, for me, wow, community is social media, especially now. Going a year and a half into the pandemic. But for me, my community, like I always joke that my friends live in my phone. Even prior to the pandemic, I said that. But there are people, while MS is one of those snowflake diseases that everyone, it affects everyone differently, right? There are still people that get it more than even anyone in your life who is perfectly healthy and is trying to empathize with you and very well educated there's a whole different level of getting it when you experience living in a body that is unpredictable.
0: They really can relate to you and not that you want others to be able to relate to you, but if they can, then why not speak to them and build something together so that you feel supported you. And I, like me, I get so much more out of it than I put into it. And So your other core value is love. Can you speak to us about that and how you lean into that to support your MS?
1: Absolutely. I mean, for me, well, it took a lot of therapy to get here, but I think it's all about love. Everything is about love. If you love yourself and you love your life, you work harder to protect it you're more open about sharing it. If you love yourself, you can be more vulnerable and authentic with others. And if you love your community and you care about humanity and other people, I mean, that's the thing is for me, it all comes back to love, like loving myself, loving one another, believing that everyone
0: deserves to live their best life. So being a little bit vulnerable right now, I'm gonna share. So for me, that's been a huge challenge, which is ridiculous. Like loving yourself, like this is the only- It's not ridiculous though. It's so hard. Society is literally
1: working every day, especially if you are female presenting or or raised as a female in our society every day, you are assaulted by things in our society that- teach you or give you messages that you shouldn't love yourself or that make it harder for you to love yourself. And it's even harder when you have a unpredictable chronic illness and your body kind of feels like it's trying to kill you sometimes, you know, so it's not ridiculous. You are not alone. And and when I say I'm working on self-love, like, I mean, every day still working on it, my friend. Tell us about
0: that journey for you. You said you seek therapy for it. What has that been like and how has it helped you to regain or to grow that love inside yourself?
1: I mean, it's been super hard. I'm not going to lie. It's been super hard. Um, and it still is. It's. I think for me, it will be something that I have to work on every day for the rest of my life to kind of reframe those negative thoughts, whether they're about my physical body or my mental health or just about work or or forgetting something in the other room and thinking, oh, that was silly or whatever. And like, how do you keep losing your phone? Like, you know, just... Even the smallest things, which really aren't like, oh, I think you look so beautiful today and I love my body and I love my stretch marks, you know, which are also a thing that I'm working on, but I love my body for what it can do and and not being mad at it for what it can't do. But I think it's all about kind of reframing those thoughts and your mindset. And for me, that's an everyday practice. It's not going away, uh unfortunately. And you know, some days it's easier than others for sure but you're not alone in that struggle. Please don't say that it's ridiculous because it is so hard.
0: I, yeah, I'm struggling with it. And I I do know and, and believe that other people are not going to come and love me fully if I don't fully first embrace loving myself. And so like you, I'm working on it and I'm just starting to talk about it. I think that there's been so many things that impact it, and trauma is one of those. And the the initial, especially diagnosis of MS, definitely is a traumatic experience in and of itself. And dealing with all of the drugs and or therapies and trying to get what works for you, it, it's really it, it's weighing. And at points it's like, I caused this, what does this look like for me? And so it's it's a cycle and I keep going around. I think I've made growth, like you say, but again, continuously working on it. So I'm sure others can relate to what you're sharing with us because it, I, I've been hearing it a lot from people. And I think with all of the things that we're going through in our society right now, it is just so important to start with you and, and look mm-hmm. deep inside yourself before we start going, you need to do this. You, 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 and start making more I statements. Just some thoughts. I, I agree.
1: I really do. I think those are really, I think that was really Well said, complex PTSD isn't, I'm not sure it's not a technical medical diagnosis yet, but I know that a lot of therapists will say that complex PTSD can occur from something like a traumatic MS diagnosis or a misdiagnosis or poor treatment from your doctors, things like that. Um, Personally, I feel like the symptoms all fit for me. And it does. It makes it so much harder to love yourself, and and you think, what did I do wrong? And people, even well-meaning people that love you, are like, oh, have you, you know, tried X, Y, Z? Like, are you drinking the turmeric smoothies or something? And you feel like, well, do you think I'm not trying hard enough, or or what is it like? Because I'm trying everything. Like, I swear, I tried every diet. I tried every, I'm trying the best that I can. I'm doing my exercises. Like sometimes I can't even. Think straight, you know, whatever it is.
0: Jenna, let's talk about that for a second. So on social media, I really want to get your opinion about this. On social media, I see people come in and they do the reels and all of that, right? And they say, don't say this to me and don't say that to me in terms of trying to offer suggestions to help you with your MS or whatever your autoimmune disease is, right? And so I always don't think about myself first and how it makes me feel, but I think about the other person and why they would be saying that to me. And I think about it in terms of like my dad. I think that he has really good intentions when he does those things. And he is trying to live it with me by saying that. It comes off as sympathy rather than empathy, but they, those people that are trying to support you don't know that so they don't realize how it's making you feel they're just trying to be there for you be in your life and support you so what i and i don't want to be like don't say that to me or and i understand that there's boundaries and things but how do we get to that medium place where we're accepting how other people are reacting to us but yet like I said, putting up those boundaries to say, Ooh, I don't know if that's really what I want to hear. Because I try to do that and it's not getting through. I don't know if I'm not being aggressive enough or yeah, tell me your thoughts about this, Jenna. Oh my
1: goodness, this is so hard, isn't it? I am so with you on this. And you know, I agree. And I've probably made some funny reels about this too. <laughs> not to because I am I I like I like to entertain myself on the internet. Like that's, I literally, I laugh at myself a lot. I like, don't take, I never take myself too seriously. So I, I enjoy those reels. I think so many of us with chronic illness, especially invisible illness, I do sometimes need my cane. And that makes my disability or illness more visible to someone else, but you know, for the most part, it's invisible. And I think that that people, especially loved ones in your life that are saying things like that, like, have you tried like turmeric smoothies or whatever, or kale and yoga and acupuncture and and whatnot. I'm I'm joking, but I've tried all those things. And like, I actually do like yoga and I do have smoothies. Although, you know, like I, I, I do, I do think acupuncture does help with muscle spasms for me, you know, but I think they are really well-meaning and, and especially when it's someone that knows you and loves you and cares about you. I do think that they are trying to empathize with you. It does come off more as sympathy or for me, it feels triggering in a way that it makes me feel like I'm not enough or I'm not doing enough or do you think I'm not trying hard enough because believe me, I'm trying my best every single day. Like, you know, that's kind of what it triggers for me, but I, I know it, it can trigger a lot of different emotions for people from strangers. I think it's a little bit more like people have no idea what to say. And they just often say like awkward, wrong things um, or they, I, I do think they're trying, I do, I try to err. I, I am my mother's daughter and I always try to err on the side of thinking, well of people like thinking that people have good and pure intentions and I think that's why it is important to say things uh, like on social media even if you're making it into a funny reel like to say things like don't say that stuff to us because that does help like you know the next random person that asks why you're using a cane and you say oh I have MS like maybe they won't suggest like yoga to me because of they saw something But that's kind of my hope in in using social media to change public perception, but when it's one-on-one with a family member, first for me, I really find that I can't do it in the moment. I can't set that boundary in the moment of when the experience is happening. Generally, it just depends. The way I try to explain it to them at another time when I'm feeling less triggered or less emotional about it is that, you know, I want you to know that I appreciate when you make suggestions to me. So I think for me, it it comes down to explaining it in in a really basic way that I am doing the best that I can. And when you make suggestions to me to do something more or something different in a moment where you can see that I'm struggling, for me, it's not helpful. And I just need you to know and trust that I'm doing the best that I can for myself. And when I need help, I will ask you. And in the meantime, I just need you to support me by asking me if there's something you can do to help and understanding that I may not have the answer at the time, but that's really the best that I can do.
0: So I think that taking that pause and coming back to it and not speaking out of emotion to that person is a really strategic way of addressing it. And the thing is, especially with the family member, I want to feel like I can share with them how my body is feeling. Absolutely. Without having them go, well, have you tried this? And I think the words that you use to get that across will be helpful for me in communicating that with them because I want to, yeah, I want to have that connection with them because they ask. And I know they're asking because they want to know. And I don't want to brush it off and say, I'm fine. I want to be able to speak my truth to them and to share how I'm feeling because I need that. But I don't need always the, the recommendations or suggestions. I need them to say that sucks. How can I help you? right? Just like you said.
1: Right. Like I just need you to listen. I just need you to listen. That's all. I need you to listen and you can, I don't need you to commiserate with me and say, oh yeah, my back also hurts today too. Like don't do that. That's the worst one. That is, yeah, that's probably my least favorite or like, oh yeah, yeah. Wait till you get older. Thanks. Thanks. No, don't like that one either. Thank you. Thank you. Well, but you don't look sick. Also not a fan, not a fan. Those ones don't generally come from my family, but you know.
0: It's not the message that I'm willing to to take into me. I, I just need that support. So I so appreciate you um, going off that little tangent with me and helping me through that a little bit. I feel like I got some therapy.
1: I think it's a very important form of self-advocacy. Because you have to be your own best advocate and whether you are speaking with your medical team or your family and your support team in a different way, you still have to be your own best advocate because no one knows you and your body, and your emotions better than you do.
0: So Jenna is not just a, a fun, loving, outgoing lady that you see. She's a really smart human being and she's been through this and she's living this And so we need to like pay attention to each other and those messages that we share because that's going to help me in the future. So, Jenna is a marketing consultant. I don't know if you guys know this too. And she works with large and small businesses to shape their marketing plans and to, you know, help them, especially in this realm of invisible illness community. And so Jenna, how is that manifesting for you in your life? Because I can imagine that there's been some ups and downs with that relating to your illness. So how do you, how do you, manage all of this together? Because it's a lot to take on. Oh my gosh. That's such a great question
1: because sometimes I have no idea what the answer is. Oh, I don't know. I just make it all up as I go along. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, sort of kidding, sort of kidding. Like as I said, I've been in marketing and business and strategy and coaching small business owners, primarily female entrepreneurs for the last few years in, in their social media strategy and in their businesses. And working with, from large and small companies, and I can write like some great marketing plans for like sassy coffee company names and whatever, and put together some cool videos and make funny paragraphs about it. Right. But what my passion is, is advocacy and helping people in our community and helping whether it's a company that provides you know virtual support groups for people with ms and creating content about that which would be something you know services only services and products that i like actually use it will be things that i recommend actually use and enjoy just for the record Mm -hmm. but whether it's like recommending that or a campaign for a pharmaceutical company we don't want to just see people out hiking because they, you know, this MS drug is so magical, right? Like stop, like, no, we don't want, (laughs) right? Like, oh, I got my infusion and now I went on a five mile hike. Look at me, you know, and I'm, these are just obviously like hypothetical, just me being silly, but that is where my passion is more so. So I've really taken this past year to pivot in my business and, and focus more on working with companies that align with my core values and can help my community, which is, you know, the chronic illness and visible disability community. And I've been able to take the time and do that and to focus on my own business for once in my life, because I always kind of joke that I'm like the shoemaker's kid without shoes. Like my website needs to be updated. Like, you know, my social media profiles, like all those things. But like my clients always had everything set out nice and neatly. So this, for me, the last few months, especially where I was able to take an online intensive course and really work on my own things and my website is under construction but with a professional and actually updating so it's kind of magic so you know some of it was came together from my speaking out on social media it manifested that way some of it from other connections and from me putting myself out there I mean I was so 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 Honored to receive one of the Healthy Voices Impact Fund grants this year. So, they are funding my project to create a free YouTube series video course talking about public speaking for patient advocates. Because I've had years of corporate training, years of doing presentations, years of being in sales and certificates on public speaking, and I've always enjoyed public speaking. I was in drama when I was a kid. I mean, speaking in front of crowd doesn't make me nervous. It's more like a one-on-one thing makes me nervous now, but that's a different story. I work with people who are excellent at it and learn from mm-hmm. them because it, I, I, I'm certainly not like the, the world's expert, but learning even breathing techniques and techniques to manage my mindset and my anxiety, it comes down to that. And then of course, turning your story into something that if you're speaking with a legislator or on a Zoom, I want to share those, those stories and those strategies and tips that have worked for me. And I, I don't want people to have to pay for it. So I'm so excited to be putting together this course for 2022. It's going to be all on YouTube. There'll be an email series that goes with it. That helps you and some free downloads. There's going to be guests. It's not just going to be me talking at you, but there's going. It's going to be great. I'm super excited. I'm just so I'm so over the moon about it because I feel like if I could help one person feel more empowered to to share their story, whether it's online or in person, then then I've made a really positive impact in the world because that's I think the best thing that we can do. So I, I'm super. I'm just like I can't even. I'm trying to stay chill so I don't wake up the puppy.
0: It's pretty cool that you were able to get that grant and now you're going to be even living more into your core values by providing that for our community. So what throughout all of this has been your proudest accomplishment so far?
1: Oh gosh, I feel like it's yet to come. For me, I think when I know that when the step therapy reform passes, I will cry tears of joy. I'm very excited about these upcoming projects. In addition to the Impact Fund grant, I've been writing some courses for the community specifically, and I've also been doing some one-on-one strategy, vision sessions with people who are looking to kind of pivot from being a full-time or employed person to becoming an independent contractor, because I've helped so many you know, solo entrepreneurs or small business owners over the years and seen where they've been able to pivot in their, I just want to work from home and have a flexible job. So I sell clothes online to pivoting to, I actually love crochet and now I make courses and sell designs and make more money and have more free time and I'm much happier. And I feel like the people in the chronic illness community, especially if you're newly diagnosed and employed by someone else, this is a really key time to understand what your skills are that are transferable to being an independent contractor and how you may want to start doing that on the side and then transition into doing that full time so that you can Live your best life with chronic illness. Because I know for me, a traditional nine to five would be impossible. It would have definitely been impossible when I was diagnosed. That first year was very chaotic for me. I had some unrelated surgeries, but I had MS flares and struggled with the insurance, and it, it was chaos. And I am not sure I would have ever been able to return to a traditional job. But for me, getting up and doing something i love every day is so empowering. so i think i think actually i guess that's what it is. it's the this part of my story that i'm most proud of is finding my voice and using my story to help others whether it's help change public perception, helps feel someone feel less alone. Or help change public policy because i really i think i i i know i was a little lost there for a while and i was certainly lost after my diagnosis as well but I think really finding my voice and using it to to share and, and be vulnerable and that that's been so empowering for me. So I would say that's that's my biggest accomplishment, actually. Yeah, thank you. That was a really great question.
0: So from you know, being that healthcare policy advocate, right? Working on the step therapy component, sharing your testimony in all of this talking up to you about the complex PTSD component, feeling that love in your big heart as you share all of that and finding your voice. I can't explain to you how wonderful this conversation has been. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I want you to tell everyone where they can find you and reach out because they need to hear your story.
1: Thank you. You are amazing
0: i love your show
1: you. and i am truly honored to be a guest like super fangirling just for the record uh super fangirling <laughs> and super. i think you do more great work than you realize and i know i could speak for the community and when i say like i just have such tremendous gratitude for you and for what you do oh but i didn't answer your question so you can find me um most active on instagram right now at the jenna green um because Jenna Green was taken. And now it's just a funny joke with my friends. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you check on my Instagram bio, you can download a free um, mindset makeover type digital journal, which I mean, you could also print it out if you're a paper person that helped it. This one helped me a lot with kind of reframing my mindset and understanding why and how I was thinking about things for not just like loving myself and my body and my accepting my illness, but really just what I wanted from, from my life. So this helped me a lot and I worked on it with a friend of mine. You can get that as a free download if you, if you want. And my website will be updated very soon. It's going to be beautiful. That will be the Jenna But for now you can um, always message me on Instagram or, you know, comment or, or whatever. Let's let's be friends cuz like I said all my
0: friends live in my phone. <laughs> so true, and some of the best people I know, I've never met in person, and it continues to fill me up and speak to that growth mindset that I try to embrace. Before we go, I I do want to remind everyone listening about the MS Walk in Orlando on April 2nd at Blue Jacket Park. We will also be streaming some live events for everyone who would like to join us. The link tree in my Instagram bio and the Thriving Over Surviving podcast website have all the details regarding that, including the location. We're going to have one or two other events that day that I'm hosting and how you can grab your... Your t-shirt to support our cause and if you're interested in digging deeper into determining your core values please visit my website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com and there you're going to be guided through that discovery process because we all deserve to live our best lives thank you jenna so much for joining me again keep thriving thank you for joining me for this episode of the thriving over surviving podcast If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. Keep thriving.